Welcome to Starting It Up. I'm your host, Emma Bargetto. In this episode, I sat down with Nick Severino, former CFO of Apple Retail, to chat about his time at Gap, Apple, and now Phil's Coffee. I asked Nick about Apple Retail before and after the existence of the iPhone. We talked about the blurring of our professional and personal lives, which for him involved moving his whole family to London for a summer. And we talked about his commitment to contributing to a healthy executive culture through thoughtfulness, carefulness, and kindness. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for being here. We're so happy to have you. Um, I'm super nosy, so if Are there's you? anything you can't say, just tell us, because um, <laughs> I'll ask anything. Um, so you went to Trinity College originally yes. for your undergrad, and what did you study? Trinity University. University. Uh, close. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that's in San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. I studied, I was a business major with kind of an accounting concentration, mm -hmm. uh, and then an economics minor. And Matt mentioned to me that you came from a family of medical do, people. Yes. What yeah. led to the shift? You I didn't want no to be a idea. doctor? I have. <laughs> so my two brothers are doctors. My sister's a nurse. My dad's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. My sister-in-laws are doctors or nurses. So um, I don't know what happened to me. My dad was worried. When I was 12 years old, I worked at the, um, at the local pharmacy. I um, you know, helped in stock shelves and things. And I'd bring home the extra Wall Street Journal every night when I worked and I'd read the Wall Street Journal. So I think they knew when I was like 12 that something was wrong with me because I was, I was more fascinated with the Wall Street Journal than the dinner conversations that we'd be having about the medical profession. <laughs> but um, it is interesting because like, yeah, growing up, everyone I tell my brothers, because we all, we look somewhat similar and talk the same. So whenever I go back to Chicago, mm -hmm and run into people that they think I'm one of my brothers. I'm like, I hold your reputation in my hands. <laughs> but it's worked out. It's worked out. Yeah, I've, it has uh, worked out, clearly. <laughs> You've done a good job. I think hopefully now my mom realizes I'm the smart one. The <laughs> You're not the mess up. That's yeah, so funny. Yes. And so then you got your master's at Northwestern. Yes. And what did you study there? I studied. So I, I had this vision, what, you'll, what could happen early in your career as you you take your first or second role, you'll, you may find that your opportunities or what you do starts telescoping down into a narrow focus. And I didn't want that early in my career. So I then went to Northwestern to Kellogg and they're known for marketing. So I, I picked up a marketing and org behavior major okay. at Northwestern. So that's one of my secrets that I think still helps me to this day that I have that financial background, CPA to be a CFO, but that marketing degree that helps me be a, a broader business executive. You covered all the foundations. So, and actually, <laughs> the interesting thing, I don't know if you have the opportunity, like the organizational behavior classes you take, like still to this day, the org behavior classes are ones that I keep coming back to going, gosh, that, that, that really taught me a lot about what I needed to know to be successful. Mm -hmm. So definitely make sure you get org behavior in. Because that's it's really org behavior, but it's also human behavior and dynamics and being effective in fluid organizations. So make sure you you know you make sure you take the time to 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 invest and really learn um, some things there. Well, I was going to ask you about your college experience and what you found most valuable because I think a lot of people say that it's not in the classroom. But right. would you disagree oh with that? I I wouldn't disagree with that. I think and then the the 
big thing is you really don't know what that experience is that is going to in due course prove to be super valuable. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, I was, so while I was a business student being, you know, in a liberal arts um, university like here, you also have to take other classes. Um, and I took East Asian history. Okay. Was my, and I, I don't know why I initially <laughs> took that. It's kind of, I've always done, I do better the harder the class. And they were just super hard classes. I think because you work as hard as you, you know, you kind of sometimes need to. So I took, uh, and I had a, you know, a minor as well in East Asian studies. And okay. so as part of that, I did a student study tour to China and Japan. Oh, and that was my junior, that was my, between my sophomore and junior year. So I still, interesting enough, um, the professor who led that tour, he's retired now, he lives up in Seattle like a couple years. Actually this past summer, I went back and met him and talked to him and I'm like, I, I needed to come talk to you just to say thanks because as a business student, first of all, on that study tour, there were very few business students. I think mm -hmm. it was one of two. Everyone else were, was history students. Um, and that trip taught me a lot. Like even just to think through your life where you have these moments where you kind of go from being you know, a young adult to an adult and being on that trip really taught me that. So when Apple, it was in, it was in 2005. You remember the Olympics were in 2008 in Beijing. It's mm -hmm. really kind of, China's emergence onto the world stage. It was in 2006, I was in a room with Steve Jobs. He's like, I want a store open in Beijing before the Olympics. And he's like, who, you know, who wants to, to help us get there? And if I hadn't gone on that study tour to China, mm -hmm. right, and didn't have respect and knowledge and cultural awareness, um, I wouldn't have raised my hand, but I raised my hand along with one other person and we literally led the team that went over there and opened the first store just in time. The Olympics, the store opened in early July, the Olympics started in, in late July. So we, you know, it was close, but we opened <laughs> that store uh -huh. and now there's over 50, you know, Apple stores in, in mainland China. So pretty exciting. And I've heard you speak a lot about global expansion. Mm -hmm. What, when looking to put a retail store in a new country, city, whatever, what do you look for in that city? There's lots of, I call it cliche things people look at. Mm -hmm. um, and always like, I, I'd guard you, like if, if, if there's something you're doing in your career and there's things that people have done and they've just always done it a certain way for a long time, like kind of challenge yourself to think a little bit differently. So as it relates to most retail stores people would look at um, certain demographic information and household income and all, all these typical things. Mm -hmm. What actually worked better in my experience is looking at things that were more um, indicative of cultural relevance. So literally, where are all the great universities? Where are all the great um, restaurants, where are all the great museums, where are all the great theaters. Mm -hmm. And that's where you, it's, that's what gives the energy to a place. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, those are just more interesting and more vibrant places to be than if you just did stereotypical mm -hmm. um, retail um, targeting. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense in a way if you think about it. And even because you think through, think about areas within San Francisco, or I think about Chicago, I was just in DC at the wharf and the Navy. I was like, if you did typical analysis, like you'd never go to those places, 
right? But those are very vibrant places now across the country. And so that's why you need to think a little bit differently about where you want to be. Mm -hmm. I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, when did you decide, or did you decide, did you just fall into it, um, that you wanted to do finance? I always, again, it goes back to accounting and finance were the hard classes, so I zeroed in on that. And I felt, I do feel like you do know, like the best business executives that I've worked with, maybe I'm not completely answering your question, you need to have kind of an intuitive side, but you need to also have data and facts, and the best executive balance both of them, mm -hmm. right? And so knowing that early on, I'm kind of like, okay, I really understand the language of business, and when I look at numbers, I see opportunities, and I get ideas, mm -hmm. not just, oh, here's a report. And so digging into those facts and telling a story with them and helping to point an organization in the right direction is always just something that, that kind of I found fun, to be honest. Yeah, you found yeah. executive culture yeah. super exciting. Yeah. Um, Jamie and I, I think you met Jamie yes. earlier. We always talk about executive culture. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you have worked at some really big places, Phil's, Apple, Gap. Yes. Um, can you describe to me like what makes a really healthy executive culture? I mean, you're so ingrained in my, in, <laughs> in my experience, I think, and I think that's a great question. A lot of people, when you're looking for either internships or full-time jobs eventually, you do a lot of research on the company. So there's so much information out there, right, on any company now on the internet. What actually I challenge you to do is to flip that around and like spend 80% of your time actually learning more about the people that you're going to be working with, right? Because really that's what will create an environment that you're gonna learn and, and prosper in and thrive in. Um, I, in my mind, there's, there's traits that, leadership traits that lead to success. Um, everything from, as I think through it, people that are really good at focusing and simplifying um, and it's, it's not about big companies, small companies, even small companies have a real challenge focusing and simplifying. And you will find, you think simple, simple, getting to something that's simple, super, super hard. Um, I think uh, low ego, humble mm -hmm. leadership always wins. If you, can't, if you can't connect with people and teams, like you're just not going to be uh, you, you just, you're just you, you just need to, to be that way and to be part of a broader team. Mm -hmm. um, so that humbleness and working together as a team because no one individually could do a lot. Um, you have to do it as a team. Mm -hmm. And then I also believe you'll see if you work with other people, um, I call them big picture captains. Um, that doesn't work. You need leadership that's in, in the details um, looking at those details, developing intuition from those details, and making the right strategic decisions from those details. Mm -hmm. So you kind of combine those pieces with one other that I'll talk about, and you'll be successful. The one other, of course, is of just obsessing about the customer experience. Yeah. So what, what Apple taught me, what working with people like Ron Johnson and, and Steve Jobs and others is um, products, incredibly important. That's the price of entry but obsessing about service and the experience that goes with that product 
is what builds your brand. Mm -hmm. And if you're only competing against uh, and on your product alone, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. It's really the, the brand that comes with that great experience and mm -hmm. service that helps you differentiate and be successful. And you've worked at some companies that I would say reach really broad numbers of people. Um, they're not super niche. What do you think makes a customer experience that incredible for that many people? I think that's the hard part. It's interesting. Most people, like, it's the, the you, could, you could build a beautiful store. It could be the best design with the world's best architect. Mm -hmm. You could put great product into it. But if you go into that place and the team isn't delivering a great experience, obviously that's going to reflect negatively on that. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the team that creates the energy. I've been in plenty of stores when they're closed or when they're being built. They're, they might be beautiful, but there's no energy. There's no soul. Once the people are there, your team and the customers, that's what gives it the energy. Mm -hmm. um, so you just need to obsess about that customer experience. Too many organizations, you'll run into it, you, you'll spend all the time on the place, all the time on their product, and then they'll view people as an expense. And it's not, it's, it's, it's a different, it's almost as if that's the P&L where people are looking, oh, well, okay, yeah, people equals payroll, that's an expense, so that's a minus. No, if you build a great team, it actually is, it's, a, it's an equation of multiplication, not subtraction, where you have you know, great product, a great place, with the best people mm -hmm. that help build your brand. Yeah. Um, and maintaining that, that's the hard work. Actually, you think about it, in my experience, that's the people piece is the one where most leaders, most companies, fail. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the hardest part, too. It yeah. is really the hardest part. Well, and that's fascinating, too, because I think people are like, let's get the best executive team and the best developers and the best whatever. But mm -hmm. it's like the people who are talking to your customers are so exactly vital right. in the yes. experience. Yeah. Yeah, they... um, so you joined Apple in 2005, which was pre-iPhone. Um, what changes in the, or I, I guess, I mean, there's so many changes. That's a really broad question to ask. But what how did you notice the smartphone changed your role? I, well, when I went to Apple in 2005, first of all, people told me I was crazy. Why? Even I had a couple of mentors that I really knew well and trusted and like, why do you want to go work for Apple? It's, it's a company with low market share, um, with a niche computer product that almost is a little bit cultish, right? Um, but when, and it was at that time, um, <laughs> And then I, you know, met Steve at his home for an interview. I met Ron Johnson, and Peter Oppenheimer was the CFO of Apple at the time. Um, and I just came away with, wow, okay, they have a vision. Steve knew the piece that I articulated. He knew he had a great product mm -hmm. in the pipeline, but he knew he needed that great product alone wasn't enough. And his intuition told him that you needed to set the experience um, and have a place to get service for that product. Mm -hmm. And so that was when, in 2005, there were an, uh, a number of Apple retail stores at the time, but it's when Steve decided, no, I'm going big with this and I'm gonna be expanding, you know, not only within the US, but globally. Mm -hmm. So it was that point where they started to invest even more money in teams and people um, to build that infrastructure for growth. Would you and, say you um, took a risk? I think I took a, a big risk. I mean, just, <laughs> it's, it is interesting. I, there are, there's no class for this. There's no class for the risks and or sacrifices that you'll need to make um, to be successful. Like, and even, it's a lot like, um, I'm always the kind of person, so like if you're watching the football game or a tournament, you know how they always focus on 
like the game. Yeah. And they never show you what people do to get ready and prepare and the years and years of hard work it mm -hmm. takes to perform at that level. Yeah. And business is no different mm -hmm. in many ways. And so for me, probably what I, I never took a class and I, most of my family is from Chicago and it was 2003. Um, I'm looking at Matt because he's got my, my resume uh, handy. Because it just, <laughs> it's, like, it's a little bit of a blur thing when you look back, like it, even though in certain cases, um, be patient with like your, your career and your life because when you look back things, like it might seem like they're moving too slow to you, but when you look back, they, they actually move faster than you, than you think. But I'm jumping all over the Jump the all over, here. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> but the sacrifice, so the sacrifice for me is I think back when I brought my wife, Lauren, two boys at the time out to the Bay Area, you know, it's kind of like, okay, wait, leaving a place where you grew up, uh, the support network and your family to come to the Bay Area. And that was for Gap, correct? And that was for Gap okay. at the time into really an unknown. Um, and there were a lot of, like, I call it personal sacrifices to get into an environment where you could be successful, not only from a career perspective, but personally as mm -hmm. well. Um, and if I hadn't done that, obviously I wouldn't have met Mickey Drexler and others that introduced me to, to Steve and to Ron and really, you know, created that Apple opportunity. So really, the, as I think back, the if I hadn't come out to the Bay Area taking that risk, I never would have you know, found myself in a place um, where I was able to do so many great things at a company like Apple. And you said you spoke with Steve Jobs um, in your interview, and he kind of sold you on the company, but on paper, it wasn't looking great. Would you, like today, advise someone to take that job? <laughs> I think you have to. Um, let's just say common sense isn't so common and so like unconventional thinking will get you further than you realize so even you know for folks that you know you know you need to you need to do your research but ultimately you need to rely on your intuition to be able to get into and identify an opportunity before everyone else is going to say oh that's great or that's you know, and it doesn't need to be a big company. It could be a small company. Trust me when I say the, the things that I'm now doing to help fills are no different mm -hmm. than the opportunities and challenges at Apple. There might be a few less zeros mm -hmm. on each of those. But the, again, coming back to org behavior, the, those opportunities and the, the challenges, they're no different. Mm -hmm. So you could, you could learn, I, I actually might even tell you, you could learn a lot in a small startup environment because you're going to have a broader view of the organization than if you go into a larger company where it's probably narrower but deeper. And in your career, try to do both. And I'm, I'm not even going to tell you which way to do it. I've, I've laughed because I've told some people I'm living my career backwards. You know, I'm kind of, you know, went to work for big companies and I'm going to, you know, you know, help a company, um, you know, grow and hopefully someday, you know, bring, you know, bring the brand to many, many more people. So there's no rules. Your, your career should be super fluid because, uh, again, don't, don't let somebody's perception of what your career should be like. And if you just, if you do what you love and you're working with great people, you know, all the dots will connect. And right now you're working for Phil's. Yes. Um, and you 
are helping them go public? Can I say no, that? No, not okay. yet. No, we probably can't <laughs> say that yet. Um, so most um, Bay Area companies, you go through four rounds, your A, B, C, and D round. Phil's gone through its C round. It's up for its D round probably next year. Then generally, roughly speaking, uh, a couple years after your D round, you prepare for a public event. Okay. Um, but it's just, it's the growth stage. So interestingly enough, they've about the same number of stores as when I joined Apple Retail. It's in that same growth stage. It's what I love to do. I mean, literally was with um, the team, the CEO, the chief people officer, the teams, you know, opening a, a new store over on Polk Street, by the way, if you, any of you live over that way, you know, to being here. And that's what I just love to do. And then we're going to go work on our 2020 plan, um, focus on, and I just love being engaged. I, I think, again, coming back to being a low ego, humble, person mm -hmm. just love and, and in that detail I just want to you know be part of it of course how many employees are at Phil's there are right now about 1100 including okay. folks at the the 53 Phil stores and when you left Apple how many were there there were over 500 over uh, five. oh so yeah. it was still a lot smaller when you left. it's you know for in the new age of retail if you think now 500 is probably the right number for for a company like Apple given where their locations are uh -huh. at. Um, for a fills, obviously the numbers could be much greater just mm -hmm. given the, the, the business and the product. Yeah. So. Do you find yourself, because you are working at a smaller company, wearing more hats? Yes, <laughs> yes. Such as? You kind of just pick things up. I, mm -hmm. I, I tell my team, like when you work in a small company, I laugh because there's backpacks everywhere. Like you'll just see backpacks. There's opportunities everywhere you look and just don't walk by them, pick them up. I don't care what it is or what, what kind of role or function you think should be doing that. We're a small company, pick that backpack up and start working on it. Mm -hmm. And that's how people build reputations and relationships that give them big opportunities. Um, so one thing from a career perspective, I know it's important when you, when you look for a job, you definitely want to learn, right? I've seen many people go into roles and they go, learn them, right? And then like kind of nine months in, you're like, I know this job, you know, I've, I've learned it now. Well, and then quickly start thinking, well, I'm not learning anymore, I should go do something else. Well, no, you should learn, learn in a way where then you have identified and developed an intuition to make some decisions. And then you need to give it like another year or so to learn from those decisions in that course of time, you'll build more relationships with people. So you don't want to leave a role before you've built relationships. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, I describe my career, it's all the relationships that I've formed that ultimately give you those connection points for the big opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and there's different strategies. I remember early in my career, um, I used to be a little concerned because I, I don't know if I could draw. Like I, oh, I worked with, um, I worked with certain people who, um, who like if this is if this is like time, um, and this is like career opportunities. Like these people were like moving, like 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 a stair step, right? And I, I was I was doing more of this, and then I kind of get you know a new role, and then this, and then this, and there's different strategies. I think this this type of strategy is a little bit. Um, you, you don't build relationships in a way and you're not developing the intuition that gives you the big opportunities. Well, you're so, higher up that way too. And I think you just then, through those relationships, you're able to kind of take some big steps. Yeah. And so just think through that, be patient. Usually in most cases, I'm advising folks that are on the team, like be patient, you know, mm -hmm. like be a little bit more, <laughs> almost 
every single one of those big opportunities required what at the time felt like too much patience. Mm -hmm. But then through that trust, through working with people that you've formed relationships with, they're like, no, wait, like there's something happening six months from now. I've got you covered. I'm mm -hmm. thinking about it. You're kind of like, well, this is, you know, really I should stay, keep doing this. And then, you know, boom, six months later, because of that trust and delivering results, that opportunity emerged that was even better than the opportunity that you thought you should have gotten six mm -hmm. months before. What do you think is a really, I mean, I think you can stay at a job from a week yes. to 20 years. Right. What do you think to actually get a full scope of what you're doing? How long do you think you need to stay? It probably depends. I, I wouldn't, you know, you do want to, if, if you're moving from role to role or company to company every, you know, make it sub 18 months or even two years. To me, when I see a resume like that, so somebody who's, you know, had 10 years of career and they've been in, you know, six different jobs for 18 months, I look at a resume like that and I think, well, there's two things that could be an issue. One, you're, you know, you're not delivering results because you're, you know, moving on too quickly. Or two, you're actually not discerning what you really love and want to do. Mm -hmm. And if you know, if you come here, you're gonna only be here for 18 months, just like you've been in. You're so temporary. So yeah. I love to see progression within one company mm -hmm. that just demonstrates that you're building those relationships, you're delivering results, it's being recognized. But then ultimately, um, you then need to decide, you know, as you're building your career, there might be broader opportunities or different companies to work at or different places you want to live or things that are important in your life. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think in the future we'll really define work as a place where you'll go um, or even maybe a very specific company will be a little bit more fluid than that. And I think you're, I'd envision, because it's already happening to me, that like the distinction between your personal life and your professional life are, are blurring. And I think that's great because you, if, as, as that blurs, you just then need to make important decisions. Are you doing what you love to do um, are you living the values that you set for yourself, whether that's faith or community or country or what have you, right? Mm -hmm. And as long as you're staying true to those, you know, you'll have a life that you'll be satisfied with. When you say your professional life and your personal life mm -hmm. start to blur, mm -hmm. can you elaborate on that? Because I imagine like, <laughs> I know when I'm busy mm -hmm. at work, I just like, I go home and I work at night. Right and that's my personal life, what's, how does that blur in a healthy way? Like, what does that look for you? I think it blurs if it's, you know, with, gosh, what's a great example? When Apple retail was expanding in Europe, mm -hmm. and I found myself on lots of flights back and forth, you know, for, for five days, you know, and then back, back to San Francisco, and I made the decision, I'm like, you know what? The whole family, we're gonna go live in London for the summer, mm -hmm. and that way, you know, I could be more efficient at work, so I'm not losing days on a plane, and the whole family could get to know London, let alone Europe. And literally, you know, I would bring them if we were in Paris, we'd go visit a store or location, or if I was on vacation in Italy, um, and I'm in Rome, I'd call up all the store leaders in Rome and say, "Go have dinner," mm -hmm. right? with my family so it's just just and interestingly enough those are the types of things people appreciate and love 
when you show that personal yeah. touch. So, and then if you're doing what you love, um, again, it starts, it's, it's less work. Mm -hmm. Of course, it takes a lot of endurance and resilience to be, to be successful, but it's, it's not work. It's just you're living your life and you're enjoying what you do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we're wrapping up. Okay. I could throw questions at you all day. Um, what do you think it takes to be successful in the business world? If you were to say yes. like three key three points. Things. <laughs> three things. Um, I would say it takes a lot more endurance and resilience than you think. So take care of yourself. Um, I used to think, it, you, you know, I don't know why I thought this, well, but you thought, <laughs> oh, as I move up in my career, I won't have to work as hard. Right, or I, I don't know, I just think, you know what I mean? Because I, I just had this vision of, of, of that, and it's actually the opposite. The, it's no different in sports, right? As you go from high school ball to you know, college ball to the pro, like, no, the endurance and resilience it takes to be successful and the people that you're playing with just you know, requires that intensity. So take care of yourself and, and prepare for that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, if you, you enjoy that and are dedicated to that, you know, it's, it's, it keeps you young. Um, the second piece was, in my mind, just always being curious and believing in lifelong learning. So I have so much to learn. There are things I learn every single day. I've always thought to myself, people who aren't life, the, the second you think you know everything or you're, you're no longer learning, you're old, right? And so just always be open-minded that you're like in lifelong learning, whether it's coming back here for, for programs or going into new roles or businesses or learning about new places. There's not enough time to learn everything that you're going to have, you know, the opportunity to learn in your, in your life. Those are two biggies. Um, I think the humble, humble and kind piece is important. You could be, I'm a firm believer, you could be um, in both in your personal life and your work life, you could be tough and kind. Mm -hmm. Too many people have a tough time with that. So like, again, um, with my team, I could, I'm tough, but I'm kind. There's, 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 you, you will not make connections with people if you don't show kindness to them. Absolutely. Um, and I think through that, you just in, in create, um, you create a team that wants to do whatever it takes to, to be successful. And I think people forget that human component. So maybe at the end of the day, I come from this medical family where that, that, that's an important trait of being a physician. So I, I, perhaps in many ways, I've taken that important trait of being a, a medical profession and applied it to, to business in a way that's been super impactful. Came full yeah. circle. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was such a pleasure yes. to speak Thanks, with Emma. you. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here. Um, we will be here for about 15 more minutes. Do you have to run? No, if yeah. you guys want to do Q&A or what are you, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, you guys, you guys can either ask, ask a few questions. Maybe a few questions. So he asked, with the creation of like Apple Watch yes. and new products, is it yes. what you envision? Mm -hmm. To me, I cannot envision Apple without its retail stores. It would be, it would not be as great of a company without the experience and the service that you get from the stores. 
Um, and that, I think, single-handedly has built the Apple brand around the world. So that was where Steve was brilliant, just knowing, controlling that service and experience is what allowed Apple to become a premium product, what set the brand and set the tone for, you know, for, for a great company that we know and love today. So I would say from, from that standpoint, it's achieved all of its objectives. And then some of the beautiful flagships are just stunning. They, they are, um, you know, there's some super proud stores. Obviously, Union Square is beautiful. Carnegie Library is a, a new store in Washington, D.C. that was restored. Um, and Apple made that decision just as a gift to the community. It really wasn't entirely an economic justification to do that. So there's certain things Apple has done as it's expanded um, its retail footprint to give back to the community. And those are just things that I'm super proud of as well. So when he was at Apple, what did he do as an executive to connect with the people? And does he, other than on the executive team, does he believe that's important? I think you need to become a well-rounded business professional. One of the great things about accounting and finance is you, you essentially do have liberty to go anywhere in the organization and of, to form relationships with people. So definitely do not, do not silo yourself within any given function, form relationships across the, the organization. Really the best executive teams are teams where everyone and anyone could do any job. And in a way you're looking out for each other and just picking up things as they, as they come up. Um, and teams, teams that are fearless with their feedback you know, so um, one of the greatest things about working with the, the team I am now, like we just kind of say it like it is. Mm -hmm. Like, and just, you're just, you know, and fearless in a way for the opportunities that you need to go after. And then you kind of just go, got it. Thanks for, thanks for that, th that feedback. Yeah, let's go do that, right? Mm -hmm. Versus you could imagine the dysfunction that could come from executive teams that aren't really forthright with each other. So how did the idea or motive around creativity at Apple play a role in his job? Oh, you could, yeah, you know people. Let's see, a good question. So Apple, I think it's creativity. It's also innovation. Um, I th it's that attention to detail. It's the attention to care. So my, in, when I see things, um, you've probably noticed this in, the world, it's increasingly careless, okay? And you notice carelessness all day long. Like it's, it's immediately observable in your life when you're living your life where you see carelessness, right? Care is something that takes time. Like for you to know that I care, like while you notice carelessness immediately, care takes time to build. So I've just, live that in my life to demonstrate care, the attention to detail. Um, sometimes people like it or not, because like, believe it or not, I'll, I'll make comments about, you know, that drapery's out of place or that chair's in the room. Yeah. So there are, there are things there, but no, just being focused on doing things in a way that you're proud of and that show care is how that's impacted me in my life. Again, in part because care, you know, carelessness is, is so easy and you know, everywhere these days. Thank you so okay. much for being Thank here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. you guys are in a great place. This is an awesome school. I might take some classes here too, can I? Can I apply? Um, <laughs>
If you were able to make it to the panel, thank you for coming. We love seeing you all there to create a strong community of entrepreneurs on campus. Make sure you are following our Instagram at USFCAE Club and are subscribed to our Slack channel. A special thank you to Nikhil Vamal and Matt Balistrieri and the rest of the E-Club team for making this event happen. And a very special thank you to Pablo Carbajal for sound and editing, not only on this podcast, but on all Starting It Up episodes.